We're in our Philippians series. Um, We're talking about what it looks like to live fully into this promise God has for us, live fully into our identity that is in the kingdom, and live fully um, for each other and for God always. Um, This is a really cool book. So as you guys are flipping to Philippians, um, Philippians is actually the only Pauline epistle, which means letter written by Paul, that is not a reactionary letter. It's not a letter of response. So every other church that he writes to, it's in response to something he has heard or a question they have posed him with of, hey, so-and-so is saying this. Is that true? And he lays out the instructions. This letter is written to the Philippians, which is his first church that he ever planted from prison because he's in prison. They hear, and someone goes to minister to Paul while he's in prison. We talked about that through the chapter one and chapter two. There's a thank you from Paul. He's exhorting the church. He's saying, great job, guys. You guys are on the right path. You have loved me well, and I love you as well. So that's what this whole book is about. That's what all of Philippians is, which I think is super, super fitting for our church. And I think that's why Brian picked it a little bit, is this, this book of Philippians is not because we have Brian getting up here and saying, hey, we should incorporate pagan gods, because like, that's what they did in Corinth. Um, we're not seeing Benji get up here and say, yeah, there's a hierarchy of sins, and so this one's worse than this one, and this is why we have to talk about this, um, like he did for the church in Ephesus. This is a letter for a church like ours, one that's growing, one that is faithful, one that loves well, loves their community, and is going to the furthest extent of what they can do. And that's what I love about going through this. Now, the first couple of chapters were celebrations. Third chapter is a little bit more about conviction, and that's where we're going to be today, so sorry. Um, But it's going to be great. There's conviction, but there's also freedom, always. Anytime you hear a convicting message from here, know that there is always freedom that goes alongside of it, okay? So that's really, really important to remember as we dig in to the word today. I mean, we've got so many ministries that are just doing so well. We've got the woven ministry that is crushing it. If you've ever been to a woven event, it is like the coolest thing ever. The space they create, the food they pick, it's amazing. We've got the men's advance that you just heard about it. This Saturday, they're doing service. We've got men in our church and in our community willing to give up a Saturday to do service for each other and for our church. We've got our next-gen ministry that came and just prayed over me. It's growing, it's fruitful, it's beautiful. And not only the next generation, but we're actually starting a new thing, shameless plug, October 13th, our senior ministry is having their first meeting. If you are 60 and over, we want to hear from you, we want you to be here, because you have so much wisdom that we are not tapping into, all right? So our goal is to tap into that wisdom. We're going to get you plugged in. We want to hear from you. What would you like to see from a senior ministry? That's going to be happening October, Friday the 13th. Easy one to remember. Friday the 13th. So we've got all of that going on. We are growing incredibly fast. We are growing and growing and growing. The question is, and the same question Paul writes to the Philippians, are we deepening? Are we just growing for growth's sake? Are we deepening in who we are and what we believe and living into what God has for us? And that's what chapter three of Philippians is about, all right? He's excited about the growth that's happening. We're excited about the growth that's happening, but how do we deepen? How do we make sure our roots are in the solid ground that the Lord has prepared for us and holds firm in? How do we know? 
And that's what Philippians 3 is going to teach us. So, if you guys will actually stand for the reading, and if you do not have a Bible, please grab one. We've got people who are willing to hand you out. If you don't have one at home, take it home with you. That's our gift to you. Please, 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 we would love for you to have a Bible. All right? If you're there, say, got it? Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, finally, I love that Paul says that, finally, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. But look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. A little prideful, Paul. Circumcised on... Uh, oh, I just lost my place. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. You guys can be seated. So we're gonna go through this. Um, I preach a little bit. It's called expository. I take it and I just expose what it's saying. That's what expository means. So we're going to kind of go in order. I'm not going to go exactly verse by verse because I don't have time, but we're going to just go in order on what is Paul saying? What is the purpose of this? So my favorite thing is that Paul starts this with finally. This is a literary masterstroke, all right? Paul has written two whole chapters, and all of a sudden he says, finally, this is why I wrote you. This is the reason. This is what I have to say. This finally is supposed to cause the church to lean in. It's just like when I get to my third point and I say, finally, my third point, everyone goes, finally, we're almost done. Same thing. This is, this is a concept that I know so well in my life as we're literally just waiting on Addie to pop. When she goes into labor, I'm gonna be like, finally. Yes, I'm gonna have a son. Finally causes you to lean in. So this is what Paul wrote the church for. This is the instruction he has to give. Everything else was a thank you, and we, we pulled worth out of it. It's important, all of those first couple chapters, but this third chapter is where he finally starts to give some instruction, some exact instruction to what the church needs to do the way they need to live, finally. And what, what Paul does here, after his two chapters of giving the church praise, is he says, look, this is what my other churches are dealing with. Do not let this happen. He calls out. He says, beware the dogs, those who mutilate the flesh, the evildoers. He wants them to be on the lookout for people preaching a different gospel. 
People preaching against what his teaching is, preaching against what Jesus stood for, he's just warning them. He's saying, guys, look out for this. Specifically, he's telling them to look out for Judaizers. Can everyone say Judaizers? It's a hard one. I literally stumbled over it four times in the early service. It was bad. Judaizers, they are people who are trying to get Christians to live by the Jewish law. They want to make the Christian church mirror the Jewish religion and their history. And that's their whole goal. They're finding their way into churches through the, the promise of this power of the resurrection that Paul talks about that we'll get to in a minute. They're finding their way in these churches, and what they're doing is standing up and saying, look, you guys aren't even circumcised. How can you be saved if you're not circumcised? They want them to fall in line with Jewish law. And Paul flips that on its head. Paul says, we are the circumcision. Now, as much as I love being called a part of the male anatomy, let's figure out what that means, <laughs> right? So, circumcision, every male in the audience shudders a little bit. If you will flip with me to Genesis chapter 17, this is a concept when you study the Bible called the law of first mention, okay? So the law of first mention, if you ever have a question in what the Bible means or what a word has or what the purpose of a word is, you just look at the first place it's mentioned in the Bible. That's all it is. You look at it, odds are the first place it's mentioned, it's going to basically give you a definition. The Bible explains a lot. We use all these Christianese words. The Bible will explain every single one of them if you just go to the first time they use it. Okay? So Genesis 17, we're going to be in verses 8 through 11. If you're there, say, got it. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This is something that has been done for hundreds and hundreds of years by the Jewish people. Something that was explicit direction from God. This is the sign of my covenant. So Judaizers are coming in and saying, this is what we've always had to do. How can you claim to know God if you're not even keeping the signs of his covenant? And Paul flips it on its head and says, no, we are the sign of his covenant. We are walking, living examples of God's promise to us. The reason that they did this was to set themselves apart from other nations. You see when they combine with other nations, a lot of times in the Old Testament, all the males have to get circumcised because that's just, that's their culture. That's what they know. And that's how they know that their promises is. God tells generation after generation that this is how you show that you are Jewish, that you believe in a God. And Paul says, no, 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 that's, that's old. The new covenant is here and we are walking, living, breathing examples of it. If you're not a walking, living, breathing example of a new covenant with God, you're missing it. We are the circumcision. 
It's strange language. But we are the sign of God's covenant with his people, the promise he keeps through Jesus and reconciling us with him. We have that promise. We walk in it every day. That is the new covenant that we walk in. We no longer need this medical procedure to prove we are who we say we are. We have Jesus to say they are who I say they are. We are walking proof of that. That is our sign to the nations. That is our sign to our neighborhood. That is our sign to the guy that sits next to us at work. We walk it and live it out. That leads me to my first point, that Jesus removes the requirements from God's promise because he did all that is required. This was a requirement handed down by God to keep my covenant, Abraham. This is what you have to do, generation after generation, to prove to me that you believe this promise. That was the requirement. Jesus did all that was required and died on the cross, so now there is no requirement. We get to walk in freedom and in power. You see, the reason Paul brought this up is he really, really, really wanted to guard against a works-based gospel. He wanted to guard against this checklist of items that we think we have to do to earn God's righteousness, to prove ourselves, to give ourselves worth or meaning. All these people are preaching this easy three-step gospel. And Paul wants to divert from that. And the reason Paul wants to divert from it is he knows the dangers because he lived it. In this passage, we go back to the passage, Paul lists out all of the things that he has done. Like I said, it seems, it seems super prideful. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. He's like, uh, I'm better than you, and I say it doesn't matter. He has this list, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, that's him talking about circumcision. Him talking about being a part of the Jewish culture. And he, check. Yeah, that one's done. Good to go. The next thing he talks about is the Jewish law. So, as to the law, a Pharisee. Pharisees literally memorized the law in this por portion of human history. They would go and memorize the whole of the Torah, the law that God gave us. As to the law, I knew the law. I'm a Pharisee. I know it all. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He literally believed what he believed so strongly he was willing to kill for it. It's pretty zealous. Zeal. Check. I believe it. I'm so far in that I'm willing to kill someone else because they don't believe what I believe. Because I know what I believe is right. And then the last thing he talks about, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He followed the law. He knew the law. He is blameless. But what I put on the screen is perceived righteousness. Check. Looks great. He's a Pharisee. He lives in the law. And every time he does sin, he just has a sacrifice he can make to make it better. That easy. Yeah. I'm righteous in the eyes of the law because I've done all that is required by the law. He has this checklist. 
So my question is, what is your checklist? Because a lot of it, it follows what Paul lays out. Yeah, we're not Jewish. We don't have the, the circumcision idea, but we have the idea of, man, my family grew up in church. My parents always took me to church. My, my grandpappy was the pastor of little-known town Baptist church for 85 years. It's in my blood. I'm a Christian. I go to church on Christmas and Easter. Yeah. As far as the Jewish law, we have this idea that we have to perform. Oh, I'm a good person. I hear that all the time. Oh, it's, it's good enough to live a good life. To, to live a kind life, to care so much about people. I do everything the Bible tells me and check it off. Not a bad thing. But is it a checklist item? Because you're trying to earn something? Part of your honey-do list? Your Jesus saves me list? Zeal and persecution. Yeah, maybe we don't kill people for our faith. But I know a lot of people who get on Facebook and rip people apart. I've seen a lot of comments of, oh, you shouldn't be wearing that. If you're, if you're expecting a non-Christian to live a Christian lifestyle, you're sorry. We, don't, we can't even have that expectation because we haven't even told them the truth. They don't even know the truth yet. Why are we expecting them to live like it? We persecute all the time. We go to work and that guy who doesn't believe what we believe, we make him look like an idiot. We're like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta study up on all my apologetics so I can just destroy anyone who comes against me. Zeal. Check. Perceived righteousness. I mean, yeah, I have that sin struggle, but at least I'm not sleeping with my boyfriend. I mean, I didn't, they, didn't, they haven't been to church in months. Pray for them. We have this perceived idea that, yeah, while I'm bad, I'm not that bad. I'm on a spectrum, and I get to be in the middle, otherwise known as lukewarm. This is what Paul's guarding against. This idea that we have a checklist of things that we're supposed to do to earn our righteousness. He has it all. Maybe you have it all. Paul has all of it. And when someone says, that's important, you do the whole checklist. He says, no, it's not. It's not important. You're missing it. You're missing the whole boat. It has nothing to do with what I can do and everything to do with what I could not. Because my second point is, your work towards righteousness is only moving you further from God and it's insulting Jesus' sacrifice. If you're striving for righteousness, if you're trying to live a checklist lifestyle, what you're saying is Jesus' death was not enough for me. You're saying, yeah, he lived a perfect enough lifestyle for everyone else, but me, I can earn it. I need to do more work because Jesus wasn't enough for me. Now, you're not saying that, but that's what you're believing. You're not saying Jesus isn't enough for you, but you're believing Jesus isn't enough, and so you have to go step by step and earn this righteousness that he promises you. I 
Let me give you an example. The only way I know how to do this is a, a schoolyard game, so I apologize. If everyone would stand up for me, if you're physically able. Everyone will stand up. We're going to play a game I like to call Simon's. Actually, Peter says, because the Lord changed my name from Simon to Peter in the Bible, so it's more biblical that way. It's not because my name's Peter. It's just more biblical. We're going to play a game called Peter Says, okay? This will wake you up a little bit. I try to do all the teaching styles. I do, like, visual, auditory. This is, like, the action. You have to do it. We're going to do it, okay? So Peter says, tap your head. Peter says, rub your stomach. Okay, now switch. All right, if you switched, you got to sit down. If you switch, you got to sit down. And no lying. I can't watch everybody. If you lie in church, God will strike you down. No, I'm just kidding. No. All right, Peter says you can stop both those things. All right? Peter says, hop on one leg. This is the real trick. I'm just going to make you do it long enough that you have to sit down. And it's great because I'm a student pastor, and my students are going to go as long as they can. They're ready. They know. All right. Peter says, spin in a circle. I got my pregnant wife over here jumping. All right, you can stop. If you stopped, you need to sit down. Look at my students. Everybody just look. Look at it. I don't know if they're lying, but they're on the bleachers jumping up and down on one leg. Who needs safety? All right, I'm done. You guys can sit down. That does it. Hey, I still got one up. Good job. I didn't say Peter says. If you sat down, you missed it. Oh, we got one over here too? Beautiful. Well done. Well done. All right, so I promise I'm getting somewhere with this. So Simon Says, we are in this giant game of Simon Says, and Paul is winning. That's what he says here. He says, I did everything I'm supposed to. I did nothing I'm not supposed to. I listened to the caller. I did whatever I could, and I'm going to win this game, and I don't care. It doesn't matter because Paul knows something that we get tricked into, that the power doesn't lie with the winner. The power lies with the person calling the game. This is where freedom is. If you're playing the game, you're just doing what someone else tells you to do. There's no freedom in that. There's no power in that. It's lost. Paul is winning the game of, of Simon Says, of Peter Says, and he says, who cares? It was never mine to win. Paul wants the power of the resurrection. That's what he tells the, the church at Philippi. You need to live in to the power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection looks very different than what we think. And the, the best example I can think of is birth. Not that it's on my mind or anything. Um, you walk into a room with a doctor who went to school for years, who probably makes six figures, who has four nurses doing what they're supposed to do, listening to them. <laughs> Shout out to our nurses. Um, doing everything they're supposed to do, 
You walk in on someone birthing a baby, who's the most powerful person in the room? The mother. The one laying naked on the ground, pushing a baby out of their body, bleeding. That's power. That's the crucifixion. That's dying unto self for someone else's new life. Jesus came and he healed the sick. The blind could see, the lame could walk. He raised the dead, and the most powerful thing he ever did while he walked this earth was die. Without his death, we're all dead. That's the power of Christ. And to step into that means something. To step into the power that he gives to you freely. So anyone who, who's played Simon Says, anyone who knows... How do you become the signal caller in Simon Says? Does anyone know? You win. Jesus won. He's the only person to do everything he's supposed to, nothing he's not. And he wins. And he becomes the caller. He becomes the one on stage saying, do this, don't do this. But in his power, he dies unto himself. In his power, he removes the title. If we were playing that game, and I didn't say Peter says once, I just said, everybody stand up. You know how you win? You don't do anything. Jesus got up and changed the game. There is nothing required of you. If you think there is, you're gonna fall short. He's not using his title to live into power. He actually killed his title put it to the side and said this is it there's nothing required nothing at all now if Jesus changes the game and makes there to be no requirements who's the new winner Anyone who believes he's the caller. Anyone who believes that man is who he says he is. He is the caller of the game. And he tells me nothing is required. I win. But what does the winner have to do? Become the caller. New job. That's what happens now. There's a moment of justification, this idea that our sins are forgiven unto no power of us, and it is true. We will fall short every time. We will not earn our righteousness. It is given freely to us by a God who loves us. After the moment of justification, there's this process we call sanctification, where you are being made new every day. Every day you are to die to yourself. Every day you are to point out to everyone in the room you don't have to do anything. Nothing is required of you. And you can be a signal caller too. But here's the beauty of the signal caller. If you guys know anyone, I'm a professional Simon Says player, if you guys weren't aware. Very good at it. Always have been. It's great. The beauty of being the caller is that once you're on stage, not only do you remove your title, but the way you get people to do stuff, the way I tricked you into doing stuff, was not by saying something and not putting Peter says in front of it, it was by doing what I said. 
Every time my body language changed, when I stopped jumping, everyone's like, oh, finally. I don't have to jump anymore. You're following my action, not my words. There is a power as a signal caller that we are pulled into. There's a power of the resurrection that Paul talks about in this Philippians passage. And what I'm terrified of, what I'm terrified of, is that we as a church love to play pastor says. We love to sit in those chairs and get a checklist of items from Brian, Benji, Brandon. We love it. We love to sit in this room and check this item off our list. When in actuality, our, our goal here is not to tell you how to live a better life, but to help support you, pray for you, love you, so that you can go out there and preach the good news to everyone else, to go be the signal caller. If you're leaving it in this room, you're not deepening. Heck, even if you're growing, we have this propensity to say, oh, my, my friend at work really needs to be saved, so I'm gonna invite him to church. Let's let Pastor Brian do it. That's what he gets paid to do, right? No, that's not what we get paid to do. Our goal is to exhort you, to empower you, to watch Jesus, the man who, who healed the lame, healed the sick, raised the dead, hand that power, that exact same power over to you and say, go, do. Live into that power, but we're all too scared to be the signal caller. We're just gonna listen to that one. We're all so scared. We're gonna mess it up once we get on stage. I'd rather just stay down there and do every little thing I'm told to do. You're missing it. We are missing it. The power of the resurrection lives within us. It is given to us freely because we didn't do anything, anything to earn it. But now it is our duty to go and give it to someone else. You're a power passer. The power of the resurrection has been given to you so that you can give it to someone else, you can give it to someone else. That's power. And it brings me to my third and final point. <laughs> Love it. Love it. He's been waiting the whole time. He didn't hear a word I said. He was waiting for that final point. He's like, I'm going to do it. I got it. Third point, your call is not to play the game someone else is calling, but to change the game the world is playing. Your goal as a Christian is not to walk into this room and hear a list of things that someone on stage tells you to do and check them off throughout your week. Your goal is to come in here, learn from scripture, go home, learn from scripture, go to work, learn from scripture, worship in spirit and truth. Let the spirit lead you. Jesus says, I will give you a helper, the Holy Spirit that lives within you. He's gonna give you a helper to walk with you through life and you are to worship him, give him all of the glory in spirit leading you and in truth which is scripture that is what we are called to do 
to walk out and be a signal caller in the game of Simon Says because you have the power to do it. None of the requirements and all of the power. You didn't do anything and you received the power to do anything. And we're wasting it. We're sitting here in a church checking off the box. Like I said, conviction and grace. There is freedom. The freedom's not going to come if you just sit in the chair and are a good player, a good little Christian, checks off the boxes. The freedom's going to come from when you say, you know what? I believe Jesus is who he said he is. And I'm going to walk in that power. So we're going we're gonna to go into worship here. We've got the elements on either side for communion. We ask if you are not a believer, if you've not made the decision to follow Jesus, you please don't partake. Scripture is very clear on this is an opportunity to commune with the most holy high God who sacrificed himself for us. And if you don't believe that, we just ask you don't partake. No problems. But that's the power that you get to walk into once you've made that decision. If that's a decision that you want to make, we're going to have some prayer members up here. I'll stand up here as well. We would love to talk to you about it. We'd love to pray for you. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus and you've never felt that power in your life, there's something holding you back and we'd love to pray with you through that too. But in this moment, as we respond in worship and as we respond with the elements, I want you to just take a moment and think about two things. One is what is keeping you from that power? What is the checklist item that you're just checking off because you're supposed to do it as a good Christian that's keeping you from the true power of Christ, the true freedom that he has to offer? And two, just think about how an amazing gift it is that we have the blood to cover us because we could never do it. Pray on those things. Put them forefront in your minds. Dear God, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your promise of power. The ability to walk into it. The ability to be a part of it. So that it wouldn't die in this room. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, not kingdom come in the church as it is in heaven. Let our worship not be confined by these walls. Let our prayers and actions not be confined by these walls, Lord, but let us live it out. Let us take it from this place into the world, into the place that needs it the most, Lord, and step into the power given to us by you. God, we bring our checklist to the foot of the cross and say, I tried and I fall short. I want the righteousness, but I can't earn it. God, relieve us of that conviction by allowing us to be as close to you as possible and walk step in step with you throughout our whole lives.
God, we love you and we thank you. In your holy name we pray, amen.